Our scripture reader this morning is from the psalm, Psalm 89. Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord? with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not work according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. 
but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, for what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mark. Um, that was a long reading this morning, but... As always, you did a great job with it, so thank you. Um, if you're new or you're visiting, it's really good to have you with us this morning. Um, you're joining us in our Advent season, as I'm sure you probably are aware of by now. Um, and in this Advent season, we are looking at some of the messianic psalms in the Bible. Songs which ultimately find their fulfillment in the coming of God's King, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as is been mentioned already this morning by Chris in our call to worship. Um, the reason why I think we need Advent and Psalms like this is because of the tension that we live in as Christians in this world. On one hand, we've got the reality of life. And life is full of good things. There's no doubt about that. So much that we get to enjoy in life, especially at Christmas time. Um, you might call them the F's. So you've got family, friendship, food, festivities, films maybe, Christmas as well, to name just a few things. But even if you've lived the most shelter of life, you'll no doubt have encountered some of the days in life as well. Disappointment, depression, death, divorce, disease, disorder in the world. In a word, darkness. And the darkness we live in can feel very heavy. 
overwhelming even. It can leave us feeling very confused, disorientated, especially even as Christians. Because while we hold this in one hand, what we hold in the other is God's promises. Uh, We remember what God has promised to us in His Word, the glorious promises that He has made to His people, the promises that He has made about this world, promises of peace, of restoration, of a new creation, of glorious salvation with all those who trust in Him. And what can be really hard is living in that tension, holding God's promises in this hand, waiting for them to be fulfilled fully, finally, forever, while living right now in the presence of darkness in this world. And this psalm, it presents the experience to us of living in that tension. And it gives us as Christians help in knowing what to do. The writer of of this psalm is a guy called Ethan the Ezraite. It's a psalm most likely that was written uh, during the exile of God's people to Babylon in 586 BC, the time when God's judgment came against his people after years of them being unfaithful to him. They turned their backs on him. They'd worshipped foreign gods instead of him. They'd sought the, the, the shelter and refuge and help of, of foreign nations instead of God. And despite God graciously warning them time and time again through the prophets, they still refused to listen and come back to him. And so God's judgment, it came against his people in the form of the Babylonians. They came, they sacked the city of Jerusalem, they loaded people up on carts, and they carried them away from their homeland to Babylon. And it was probably one of the darkest days in centuries in Old Testament history when Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem. And so you can imagine Ethan the Ezraite holding the darkness of this world, of exile, in this hand. He's feeling the weight of his present circumstances. But in the other hand, he's got the promises of God. He's got his Bible open, and he's remembering specifically the incredible promises that God made to King David back in 2 Samuel 7. This Davidic covenant where God promised to raise up one of David's descendants to be king forever a king whose house and kingdom would endure forever, a king whose throne would be established forever. Ethan is remembering these promises in this psalm. He spends 37 verses praising God for his promises, but then he turns back to life in this world, in exile, in darkness, and he says, how? How, Lord, do these two things match up? Because from where I'm sitting right now, God, I'm going to be honest with you, it looks like your promises have failed. It looks, verse 39, like you've renounced the covenant that you made with David, your servant, and you've defiled his crown to the dust. And so he cries out to God, verse 40, how long, O Lord, how long must we wait for your promises to be fulfilled? Will you hide yourself forever? What we have from Ethan here in this psalm is an example of how to live in the tension between present darkness and God's promises. Because while the time in history and the context is very different, like him, we too are a people who wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. 
We wait for God's promised king to come. Ethan, he waited in exile for his first coming, his first advent. But we, as God's people now, we wait in exile in this world for his second coming. And what helps us to live by faith as we wait is the knowledge of God's faithfulness. It's remembering the faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ. That every promise God has ever made has been and will be fulfilled in him. What Ethan is doing in this psalm is remembering God's faithfulness. He's looking back on all the ways that God has shown his faithfulness in the past. He he doesn't know about Jesus Christ just yet because Jesus Christ hasn't come. But what we do now is we look back on God's faithfulness too. And we see what God has done in the past in sending his King Jesus Christ to come. And we know that what God has done is what God will do once again. Because he is always faithful to his word. And what Ethan does in this psalm to help him remember God's faithfulness it is there in verse 1. Look what he does. I will sing. That's what he chooses to do. That's a statement of intent, isn't it? I will sing. Even from here, even from exile, even in my doubts, even in the darkness, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to sing to him. Because in doing that, something incredible happens in my heart where my faith in God, in his promises, is strengthened. Where this peace, this peace that that doesn't make sense, it settles in my heart and helps me to trust that God will be faithful to all of his promises. And what we see Ethan singing about uh, in this psalm is four things. Four things that I think we too can sing about now as we wait in exile. And the first thing he sings about is the God who is faithful in love. The God who is faithful in love. Now, I'm going to keep this point brief because we're going to explore the theme of God's steadfast love more fully next week when John preaches on Psalm 136 in our final week of Advent. But the faithful love of God is the first thing that Ethan sings about. Look what he says in verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Do you see how steadfast love and faithfulness kind of complement each other in these two verses? They almost parallel each other. And that's because steadfast love is one of the pillars of God's promise keeping. Think about it. If I make a promise to one of my daughters who I really love, I commit to be faithful to that promise because I really do care about them. I want to keep that promise because of my love for them. And if that's true of me as an imperfect father, how much truer is that of God as our perfect father? Because think about the kind of love that God has for his children. It's a steadfast love, as is described here. It's a covenant keeping love. It's not the kind of love that that blows hot and cold. It's not the kind of fickle, fleeting love that we so often experience in this world. A love that depends on how we're doing in keeping our end of the bargain, 
or, or how he's feeling about keeping his. No. His love for his children is consistent. It's unwavering. It's enduring. And that's why Ethan will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Because he knows that God's faithful love doesn't have an expiration date. Singing of his love doesn't need to end because his faithful love will never end. When God commits to love his people, he commits to love them forever. And so Ethan can trust that because of his steadfast love, God will faithfully keep his promises. My guess is that Ethan's looking back over years of that being true in his life, but also in the life of his people. Despite their unfaithfulness, God has been faithful in keeping his promises to them. And the knowledge of God's faithful love helps to strengthen his faith today. It helps to give him peace even as he lives in the presence of darkness and exile. Do you know, for some of us in the room this morning as believers, it might be important for us to know that the darkness that, that you're experiencing in life right now is not a sign that God has stopped loving you or that God has given up on you. The truth is God's love for you, for one of his people, is steadfast, it's unwavering, it's unrelenting, it's unending. Amazingly, there has never been a moment of your life where God has not loved you. And so that means that you can be sure there is never going to be a moment in the future where he's going to stop loving you. The ultimate proof of God's love for us, his people, lies in him giving the gift of his own son to us. Because Jesus, he stepped into the darkness of our world, into the darkness of our lives, precisely because God loves us. Jesus experienced the darkness of death on a cross for our sin because God loves us. Jesus is the proof of God's faithful love. And knowing God's faithful love for us is what helps us to trust his promises to us, even as we live in the presence of darkness, just like Ethan. Ethan sings about the God who is faithful in love, and secondly, he sings about the God who is faithful in power. What we get particularly in verses 5 to 18, are several pictures of the sovereign power of God. These windows through which we can look and see God's greatness. And we need this reminder. We need to know these things because it's important to know that God isn't just willing to keep his promises, that he doesn't just want to keep his promises because he loves us, but, but actually that he's able to keep his promises too that he has got the power, the capabilities to do what he has said he will do. And to show God's incomparable power and greatness, the psalmist firstly describes how the heavenly hosts revere him. So he's sort of opening up this picture of the angels in heaven who are worshiping before God. He calls them, in verse 5, the assembly of the holy ones. So God, you have this picture of God not just being worshipped here today by us in this room, He's not just being worshipped by many other people across this city of Belfast as they gather to praise him. But he's not even just being praised here in this city. He's being praised across this world at some point today by millions of people who gather to worship him. But even more than that, God is being worshipped and revered by the innumerable angels in heaven right now. And think about these angels. They show up quite often in the Christmas story. 
<clears throat> they're God's messengers to Mary, to Joseph, to the uh, shepherds on the hillside outside Bethlehem. And what do people generally do when angels appear in the room or appear in the sky? They, they hit the dirt. They bow down on their faces. They're terrified. They have to be told not to be afraid. Why? Because angels are terrifying things. Humans in the Bible, they tremble before the holy angels. But look at verse 7. Holy angels tremble in the presence of the holiness of God. Such is his power, his holiness. This is a God who is revered by the heavenly hosts. And secondly, this is a God who, who has power over the raging sea because the raging sea obeys him. What is more untamable in nature than the sea? Think of what tsunamis do. I recently watched the film The Impossible. Um, it, it tells the story of a family who are fighting to survive after being caught up in the Indian Ocean tsunami back on Boxing Day in 2004. And the moment the tsunami hits is just terrifying, even to watch on TV. The incredible power that this wave has just to destroy all in its path, tearing down trees, flipping cars, upending boats. The sea is an untamable force of nature. But look at verse 9. The psalmist declares that God rules the raging sea. When its waves rise, he is the one who stills them. Such is his absolute power and authority. Psalm 29 says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And in one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 93, it talks about the floods as this metaphor for pain and trial and turmoil in the life of the believer. It's that darkness that we've talked about already. And it says this in Psalm 93, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. But mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. See, the psalmist, he brings the truth of God to bear on his present darkness, on his present situation, and he's reminded that there is peace, there is solace, there is refuge in the hands of a mighty and sovereign God. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he preached on Psalm, 98, Psalm 89, sorry, and he said this about verse 9. As a mother stills her babe to sleep, so the Lord calms the fury of the sea, the anger of men, the tempest of adversity, the despair of the soul, and the rage of hell. The raging sea obeys him, and thirdly, the earthly powers tremble before him. This is something we touched on a couple of weeks ago when John preached on Psalm 2, that, that there is no one in all this world who has the power to stand against God and his plans. And to make that point, the psalmist here, he talks in verse nine or verse 10 sorry, about Rahab. So Rahab was a placeholder name for Egypt in the Old Testament. So it's kind of like a hyperlink here. If you click on Rahab, it takes you to the story of Egypt. And at an earlier point in Israel's history, Egypt was the dominant superpower. She could do whatever she wanted in the world, but look what God has the power to do when no one else does. Verse 10, you crushed Rahab like a carcass. It wasn't even a fight. No one can stand against a sovereign, almighty God like this. He scatters his enemies with his mighty arm, the psalmist says. 
Listen, God has never wrung his hands in frustration and said, there's nothing I can do here. He's never been rendered powerless in accomplishing the things that he set out to do. God is always able. God is always stronger, which means that every promise he has made to his people, he has the power to keep. And lastly, the whole of creation belongs to him. Who could say about anyone else the things that the psalmist says about God in verse 11 and 12? The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, those are two mighty mountains that dominated the skyline back then in the land. They joyously praise your name. So it's like they're singing God's praise over the land. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. You get the picture, don't you? Here is a God who is incomparable in power and glory and greatness. And we need this picture of God. We need to be reminded of what the psalmist says in verse 6, that there is no one like our God. No one in heaven and earth compares to him. Because at times, this stuff, this stuff that we experience in life, the darkness of this world, the darkness in our lives, it feels so big, so heavy, so definitive, maybe even. We wonder how things could ever change. We look at the state of the world. We look at the the brokenness all around us. We feel the brokenness in our own lives, and we wonder how could things ever get better. But we have a God who has made massive promises to his people, and the truth is, he is big enough to keep them all. This God is faithful in love, he's faithful in power, and he is faithful to save. See, when Ethan thinks of the promises God made to David, his chosen one in 2 Samuel 7, the promises he's remembering in this text here, those were seen by him and by all of God's people as promises not just for King David, but also promises for King David's people. The blessings God promised to the king were blessings for all the people in his kingdom. And did you hear some of the promises that God made in verses 19 to 37? Let's look at them quickly here. Follow along if you have your Bible open. There's the promise of strength, verse 21. The promise of protection, verse 22. The promise of deliverance from enemies, verse 23. The promise of exaltation and victory, verse 24. There's the promise of of permanence. Because look what God says in verse 33 and 34. I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Israel heard these promises and they said, David's our king, so these promises are our promises too. And what God is promising his people is salvation, victory, deliverance from their enemies. And if you take the promises of Psalm 89 here and you you pile them up with all the promises of, of rescue and salvation that God gives throughout the Bible, what you have is just all encompassing, absolute salvation being promised by our God for his people. Because when we trust in God's promises and when we live by faith in his promises, that is a life full of God's grace. Grace, the moment we believe, 
and grace that will lead us all the way home. It's a life and life in all of its fullness promise. It's a sin will not have dominion over you promise. It's a I will give you a new heart and a new spirit promise. It's a there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ promise. It's a pleasures forevermore promise. It's a rest for the weary and the heavy laden promise. It's a peace in every circumstance, a peace that surpasses understanding promise. All of that is ours as God's people because of King Jesus. Because this is a promise of total salvation that doesn't find its fulfillment in King David, but that finds its fulfillment in King Jesus. It's a promise that points us to the Messiah, to God's forever King. Because look at what uh, the psalmist says in verse 25. Let me read it. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn. That's not the first to be born. That's the, the firstborn, the heir of all things, the one who will inherit all things. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. My covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. And here again, we have to remember as we read this, that the psalmist is reading this. He's thinking about all this in exile. He's looking at the darkness all around him and he's saying, how is any of this real, God? For us, for now, where is your salvation? How do any of your promises make sense? It's 585 BC. Babylon came in last year and they wrecked our world and it's still the same now. But you know, I'm so grateful for Psalms like this. I don't know if you are too. A Psalm that's, that's so raw and that's so real, that's so honest before God because like so many other of the Psalmists and figures throughout biblical history, Ethan, in his present circumstances, he's struggling to have faith in God's promises. He's struggling to see how any of this is real, how any of this is being fulfilled. That's what we get in verses 38 to the end. It's a man who is racked with doubts, a man who is confused about where God's salvation will come from. But what does Ethan do with that? Does he run from God? Does he turn away from God? No. He cries out to God. Lord, come. How long, O Lord, must we wait on you? Verse 40. Will, will you hide yourself forever? Come, Lord. He knows that God is a God who is faithful in love. He is a God who is faithful in power. He is a God who will be faithful to his promises. And so he cries out, even though he doesn't know how it's going to happen, he cries out, God, come, do what you promised to do. He believes the promises of God. He has faith in God, even though he can't see how God will be faithful in keeping them. And what we get in verses 38 to 52 is the God who is faithful to us even when we are struggling to have faith in him. I read Psalms like this and the doubt that's all over them and I really wish I could travel back in time because we see things here that Ethan the psalmist couldn't see. 
This is obvious, but, but Ethan, it, he has never read the New Testament. He's not sitting in a time in history like we are with regard to the coming of Jesus Christ. And given where we live in history, after that first Christmas when, when Jesus Christ was born into this world, you can hear Ethan asking all these questions about whether God is quitting his promises, about whether it's just, God has just abandoned the plans that he has to save his people. And we want to go back to Ethan and we want to say, hey, wait, wait. No, hold on. There is more to come. Something's going to happen about 500 years from now, Ethan. The sky is going to light up over Bethlehem. Angels are going to appear and they're going to declare God's message that his king has come. The day of waiting is over because the king has been born in Bethlehem. And then this baby Jesus, he's going to grow up and he's going to live the the perfect sinless life that, that no one else could. He's going to be the son of David, the heir to the throne. And after living this perfect life for 30 years, he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die bearing our sins. But he will rise to life again on the third day victorious over his enemies. God will put that Jesus, that son of David, on the throne forever, exalted to rule and reign as king forever. He will be given the name that is above every other name, the king above every other king on earth. And we could tell Ethan that because we've seen that. We look back on what God has done and we know that Jesus Christ came, even though he doesn't. And we could say, look, Ethan, come with me now to to 2023. Let me tell you what's happening right now in our world. Because the king, he is still seated on his throne. He's still ruling and reigning over the world. And his rule is expanding throughout the world. Just as he said it would, his kingdom is breaking through with righteousness and peace and joy right now through the church. Jesus is drawing people from every corner of this world to himself. It's happening. I wish you could see it, Ethan. I wish you could see it. And we could say that to him because we've seen things that he, the psalmist, hasn't seen, but yet we wait with him for what we don't see as well. You know, there's something in this psalm that we could say we can add to Ethan's understanding, give him clarity about what's going on, but then there are other things that we could say, I get it, I feel it too. We're in the same boat as you, Ethan, in lowly exile here on earth until the Son of God appears. Just like we could go back to Ethan and say, listen, there is more to come. Keep going, hold on. Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses who've gone before us as God's people now. And if we could hear them now speaking to us, they'd be saying, hold on. Keep trusting. There is more to come. Persevere in your faith. We know what's coming, even if you don't yet. Jesus' kingdom is breaking through with righteousness, peace, and joy now through the church, yes, but one day Jesus' kingdom will come in all of its fullness when he returns. When Jesus, the king, returns, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord, and he will reign forever. And we as his people will reign with him in a a glorious new creation, in a place where there is no darkness, where there is no pain, but only light. That's the blessed hope of the church, and that, friends, is what we wait for. 
what we long for. In the GP surgery where I'm, uh, I was going to say a member, you're not a member of a GP surgery, but whatever you are, in the GP surgery that I go to, uh, in the waiting room, uh, what they do when you come in is you sign in and they give you a ticket with a number on it. It's quite old school, but I quite like it. And so you maybe get a number like the number 22, and you take a seat in the waiting room and, and you sit down and wait for your number to be called out and for it to flash up on the screen. And there's nothing worse when you sit down in the GP surgery with the number 22 in your hand and it flashes up on the screen number 17 because you know that you're going to be waiting for a while. You're here and you're going to have to settle down and get comfortable. But what happens when the number 21 flashes up? You start getting excited. I'm up next. It's coming. My time is coming. The anticipation is building. You know that you're not going to be sitting in the waiting room forever. You're going to be in front of the GP. You're going to be able to talk to them, and then you're going to get to go home with whatever you need. Look, with that strange picture in mind, I want you to think of the Bible as having four tickets, four big turning points in history, four tickets that are given to God's people. Ticket number one was handed out in Genesis chapter one. It's called creation, when this powerful God brought all things into being. Ticket number two was handed out in Genesis chapter 3. It's called the fall. When we as created beings, we turned our back on God as our creator because we thought we could find life without him rather than experiencing life with him. Ticket number 3 was handed out in Matthew chapter 1 at the incarnation when Jesus Christ, he was born into this world to be our redeemer, to be our savior, to save us from sin and death forever. So creation, fall, incarnation. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you're sitting in this room holding ticket number four, which means you're up next. The next event on the calendar of redemptive history is glorification. Home. No more exile, just joy and peace and pleasures forevermore. That's what we wait for. That's what we long for. And it's coming. We know that it's true. We know that it's coming because we look back on all that God has done in the past. We look back on his faithfulness. And we remember that what God has done, he will once again do. King Jesus has come, and King Jesus is coming. And when we believe that, when we live knowing that this is true, trusting that it's true, it doesn't give us heaven on earth now. It doesn't remove all the pain and the suffering and the sadness that we experience. It doesn't just, just make life problem-free for us as Christians now. No, we experience the darkness in this world just like everyone else does. But it gives us something extraordinary as we live waiting for the final fulfillment of all of God's promises to come to us. It gives us peace. It gives us hope. It gives us the ability to sing to do what Ethan does here, to sing God's promises, to make his faithfulness known. I want to end 
by reading the words of an old hymn that's written in the 1800s. And it was sung recently by a Christian singer that I occasionally listen to called Audrey Assad. You've maybe heard of her. Um, it's called How Can I Keep From Singing? And it's got similar threads to, to Psalm 89. It, it talks of the sovereignty of God. It talks of how he's faithful to his people through all of the trials and the troubles and the darkness that we experience in life. And, and I think this is what faith in God looks like in the waiting. As we wait for his promises to be finally fulfilled. The song goes like this. It's on the screen. My life flows on an endless song above earth's lamentation. I hear the sweet, though far off hymn that heals a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear that music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? What though my joys and comforts die, I know my Savior liveth. What though the darkness gather round, songs in the night he giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us before we come to the table. Lord God, we thank you for your promises to us. We thank you that you promise salvation, victory, deliverance for your people. And we thank you that 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 all is fulfilled and it all comes to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can look back on what you have done in the past. Look back to the many instances of your faithfulness being shown to be true and of you standing true to your word, Lord. We thank you for how we can look back to Jesus Christ being born into this world as the fulfillment of that and how that gives us what we need, Lord, to persevere now as we long for Jesus Christ to come back again. It strengthens our faith. It gives us a peace as we wait, a joy even in the difficult circumstances that we face because we know that King Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for us as people to take us home to be with him forever. Lord, I pray that as we wait in the darkness which is real and is difficult, which feels so heavy, Lord, that you will give us a a kind of fresh vision today of yourself and who you are how you're a God who is powerful and over all things, but you're a God who also comes to us to help us, to stand with us in the darkness. You're a God who who went to, to the cross for us, who experienced death and the darkness of the grave for us because you love us, because you want us to experience life with you forever. Lord, I pray that that just gives us peace today that your peace will settle in our hearts as we remember your faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, if if anyone is not yet trusted in you, I pray that today, Lord, would be the day of salvation, that they would see that that peace is possible for them because of Jesus, through faith in him, through trusting in him as their king. Jesus Christ, we praise you because you sit enthroned today, high and lifted up. 
ruling and reigning over all things. And one day you will return to rule and reign forever. We long for that day and we say, come, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.